Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, all human and non-human listeners. Greetings to you too, Ben. Um, In case you didn't know, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we're here to talk to you about all the latest happenings and uh, some of the not-so-latest happenings in the automotive industry. And I'll touch on that in a little moment. But Ben, I think you have the more exciting uh, report to deliver this week. So why don't you take it away? What do you got for us? Well, you are 100% wrong about that for the second no. week in a row because no I, I think that we both have very interesting things to say this week. But I'll go first. Uh, so I just actually just got home and just barely beat the storm home here in Montreal from driving the Ferrari GTC4 Lusso. Ooh. Yes. Now, Aluso, if I remember correctly, let me try to remember here. I'm imagining a very gorgeous sports car, uh, something with rear-wheel drive because it's likely a Ferrari mid-engine. Would you uh, would you agree with all of that or what? Am I do I do I did I lose my enthusiast card? I think that um, Ferrari's casually bizarre naming scheme for its vehicles is confusing at the best of times. The GTC4 Lusso is actually the newest version of the Ferrari FF. Oh, right. Now, the FF was a car that was uh, named after arbitrarily hitting the same key on a keyboard twice. (laughs) It was the car that Ferrari built to try and make a more family-friendly car, or I don't know if family-friendly is the right word. It's a more commuter-friendly Ferrari. It's it's a shooting brake, which in Europe means a two-door hatchback that's really expensive. And uh, this is a four-seater car, which is rare from Ferrari these days. And it also has all-wheel drive, which is, I think, the rarest thing from Ferrari these days. This car is absolutely, from what I understand, is the complete opposite of everything we expect from a modern Ferrari. You you just you summed it up. It's family-friendly. It's got four seats. Now, old Ferraris used to have this, too. But modern ones, we've always expect, expected to be just these super hyper, uh, exotic, rare, like, spaceships of... of cars and, and this kind of doesn't look like that right away no it's it you know it's a good looking car but it's mm-hmm. not it's not a car that stops your heart from just how stunning it is it, it, it's not an over-the-top car either it's not gonna arrest your eyes the same way a lamborghini would uh or a mclaren it's it, it kind of fits in and it, it looks like a ferrari there's no denying that um albeit a ferrari with very big haunches i think it's an attractive looking car and one of the other interesting things about this car i mean all-wheel drive the ff had that as well the ff was the first ferrari to introduce all-wheel drive and ferrari likes to pretend that every car that comes out is brand new and all new when in reality their evolutions of platforms and engines sometimes those evolutions are severe like the the engine i believe there's there's two versions of the luso now there's a luso t and the original luso the luso t makes use of a v8 twin turbo engine that you can find in the 488 i believe uh, mm-hmm. and i think it also originally came from the ferrari california t but all three of those engines, even though they have the same displacement or similar displacement and they're the same family, they're radically different. I mean, the changes are just – for every new model Ferrari makes is better than the last. So this one that I drove actually has a V12 under the hood. It's the, the original uh, GTV, GTC4 Lusso, not the T. And it's extremely powerful. It's a 680-horsepower car, and it makes 514 pound-feet of torque. 
And um, it, like any V12 engine from Ferrari, that 680 horsepower comes on at 8,000 RPM. It's like way up there. <laughs> you, you soar okay. up and, and you just hit this crescendo of power and everything is amazing. And then the gear changes and you get to do it again. This is um, this is bizarre. It's also it's not a mid-engine car either. It's a no, it's front a front engine en- car, it right? It is a front-engine car. And is it lightweight? Is it? I mean, is that something worth asking? Is or it, does it weighs, matter? I mean, it weighs over four thousand pounds, Sammy. No, it doesn't. It does. All-wheel drive is heavy. Hatchbacks are heavy because of all the glass. It has a glass roof. So this is a touring the V12s car. V12s are V12s are heavy. V12s are heavy, although not <laughs> you know compared to a twin-turbo V8. The difference, I the, think, is only something like 50 pounds between the two cars because you okay. have to have all that plumbing to feed the turbos to the engine, and then you have to have all the plumbing to keep everything cool. Uh, so that's that's a consideration whenever you're looking at a turbocharged versus a naturally aspirated car. I think we're missing we're we're missing the plot here. We're just talking about what makes this car what it is, but you need to tell me about the way it drives. Is it interesting to drive? Is it as unique as the way it looks? I mean, which for a Ferrari, which is. You know, bizarre, which is out of out of place. It's it's kind of a weird car because okay. I like it, that. It, it it's a seven speed automatic, and I'm not fully completely understanding how the the all wheel drive system works. But get this, there's a two speed gearbox at the front of the car that's driven by the the crankshaft nose, and mm-hmm. um, okay. that covers the. <laughs> <laughs> already your eyes are glazing over out there in the audience but i want to point out that this is unusual because most all-wheel drive systems they use uh they don't do this they they have a transfer case they have something that splits the torque between drive shafts going to the front drive shafts going to the rear but mm-hmm. ferrari's done it totally different so um the all-wheel drive system in the car is only supposed to kick in if you lose traction but on the the the, the ferrari that the two-speed transmission at the front of the car will cover the first four gears of the rear transaxle, which is a seven-speed dual-clutch. Like an, a, 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 I hesitate to use the word traditional, talking about dual-clutch transmissions, but they're so common now. Um, yeah, like a normal dual-clutch transmission, a quick-shifting dual-clutch. I get you. Okay. So as long as you're in the first uh, four gears, you have an all-wheel drive Ferrari. But okay. as soon as you shift into fifth, it's rear-wheel drive only. That's crazy. And there's clutches up front that let you torque vector with those those front wheels while you're okay. in, while you're in the range of that transmission. And 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 the Ferrari GTC4 Lusso comes with four wheel steering on top of that. Nice. Do you know how the four wheel steering um, operates? Well, is it like a parallel steering system, or is it a, a, a like a, a counter steering? I don't know the best way to say it. Do they work in tandem with the front wheels, or most opposite? of the time it's in tandem. Almost all of the time it's in tandem, and it's it's to give you. I mean, Ferrari says it's more consistent feedback. They also say that it improves uh, the nimble the nimble feel of the car because it's like a very long wheelbase car. And one of the things I noticed today was when you try to turn it, like do a U turn, because we were doing a lot of filming with the car. It, it, you need a lot of space to do that. Um, apparently, out of phase steering, which is the one you were talking about, where it counter steers at the back, yeah, uh, it 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 only it's only used briefly by the system. In like low in like low speeds, I, it, I understand, right? It's it's for ro- rotating the car to to do those U turns. Yeah, and if so it's not if it didn't if you didn't notice the U turns being any smaller than you sh- any shorter than usual, then it uh, isn't worth talking about. It's it's not just for U turns though; it's to initiate turn in. So uh, when you're initially oh, okay. making that corner. It, it tries to rotate the car with the rear wheels. It, you know what's interesting is um, when when I was driving the car today, I was like expecting 
the all-wheel drive and the four-wheel steering to be transparent. The four-wheel steering, though, made itself known. It's uh, When I would hit the car and change lanes on the highway at higher speeds, it felt like the rear end was getting a little loose. It happened around a couple of corners, too. Even though the car didn't feel loose, there was some movement from the rear of the car. And in talking with other people who've driven the Lusso, what what I was experiencing is kind of like it's a little bit of initiating oversteer for the turn in that's that's how it feels when you're driving so it's a little distracting wow. to be honest okay it's it, it's not real feedback it's the car generating feedback about what you're doing if that makes sense interesting and um so it sounds but it sounds a little twitchy it sounds a little uh, it sounds like an exotic in the in the way that you you it, handle it you know it's it's super easy to drive though like i don't want it to i don't want to come across as saying that the car when you say the word twitchy, that always makes me think of a car where I'm 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 worried when I'm driving it, where I'm okay. like I'm I'm careful about all my inputs, and I really didn't feel that way about the Luso. I felt like anyone could drive the car in automatic mode. You're in if you put in it has different driving modes: comfort, sport, wet, and and snow mode, which is another I think new thing for Ferrari introduced with the FF. Um, I could easily see, you know, long trips in the car or just even commuting in it. And, and a little bit, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, that was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, driving a Ferrari, you kind of wanted to take your breath away. And this was an extremely competent and extremely fast car. But I was talking with a colleague today, um, actually, um, your, your, your colleague too, Jody Lai, and she was saying that it almost feels like all supercars these days drive very very well and very very calm and we might have reached peak supercar <laughs> so uh the fact that it's a near 700 horsepower car that was you know didn't feel like that at all until you hammered the, the gas pedal is, is pretty amazing um what was the engine like it it sounds pretty good but it's not as loud as i as i wanted it to be even though in okay. sport mode the exhaust is it opens up and it gives you more of a, the heavy breathing that you'd want to hear from a, a V12. But I mean, the way it winds up to to redline is is of course it's, it it sounds nice. Uh, it's not right behind your head like another Ferrari, so you're not gonna get that sort of rush. Um, uh, and with the windows up, the car is extremely quiet, and I mean extremely quiet. But one thing about the engine that I didn't like, the the car has probably the worst automatic start-stop system I've ever experienced in my life. It has start-stop on a V12? It, it does, and mm, I could okay. not find the button to disable it as much as I looked. Uh, you you can As soon as you take your foot off the brake just a smidgen, it starts the engine up again. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that at idle because if you wait too long and you do the thing where you just take your foot off the brake and go right to the gas, there's mm-hmm. like this pause where the car's like, Oh, excuse me. Did you want some forward motion? Let me see what I can do about that. And then, like, you're like, what's going on? And then, wow, suddenly you're moving forward. <laughs> yes. And there's, like, this moment of, like, is it broken? And then, like, the engine kind of, like, turns on. <laughs> and then the transmission engages. And you're like, what just – where am I? What am I, am I in a car or am I in a – like, I totally get that. It's just not, you know – you're in a Ferrari, right? You expect everything to be super smooth, but at the same time, these are cars that are derived from racing platforms, and and something like automatic start-stop has no function in performance whatsoever. It's entirely emissions and uh, fuel economy dictated. So I, I'm going to excuse them for not getting that right, but if I had paid for the car and I couldn't disable that feature, I'm sure there's a way to do it. I just couldn't find it. I would probably not be happy about that. 
That's uh, really cool. Do you have a? Can you sum it up? Like, is there a way you would describe this car? Is it for anybody? Is it a? Is it a true supercar? Is it a Grand Tour? Is it? Uh, I don't know. Something I don't know in between. I think anytime you have a car that has nearly 700 horsepower from a V12, it's hard to not call it a supercar. But okay. at the same time, uh, weighing over 4,000 pounds, it's got four seats, and it's it's clearly a touring car from its design, the way the way the interior is laid out the uh the way the suspension felt i'm sure if i was on a racetrack the car would blow my mind in -hmm. regular driving it didn't in regular driving it just felt like a very nice very comfortable car i've heard people describe the luso as the best competitor to the panamera okay Uh, wow it's like it's also like three times the price i don't know (laughs) well it's better looking uh it's definitely not as practical with the two doors versus the four doors Mm -hmm. but it's it's right up there in terms of performance and um, there's just something special about a Ferrari. I know that's a cliche to say, but you don't see them. They're, they're not as common as, as a Porsche. So I think if you're the kind of person who already has a couple of exotics in the in the garage and you're looking for a daily driver and you've been to the Porsche dealership, if it's in your budget, go check out the, the Lusso. I think, it's, uh, I think it's definitely a Ferrari you could live with every day. And I think that you're going to get something that's more special than what you would find in a Panamera. And it's definitely easier to drive than, say, an Aston Martin. Um, I can't remember the name now. The four-door Aston Martin that they the built. Rapide. The Rapide. And the Rapide S. Um, mm-hmm. it's, that car is clunky. There's no, way, there's no way around it. The drivetrain, when you're driving it normally, it, it, it's a bit of a chore. When you're driving it hard, it's amazing. And the car is that car is difficult to get in and out of. The rear doors are essentially suggestions. The roof line is super low. Um, you compare that to a Panamera, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I don't think so." Uh, but the Ferrari is it's it's completely another level apart from the Rapide S. Uh, if you're looking for a four seat uh, European Super GT. Very cool. I don't mean to, and I don't think I'm going to one-up you, but I think we're going to continue with this supercar-themed um, I want you to one-up me. I want you to be like, oh, your, your Luso is pretty cool, Benjamin, but I just got off the space shuttle. Uh, they, they they let me uh, take it out for a spin. And no one's no one's flown the shuttle in five or six years, but they were like, Sammy, here's the keys. Try not to scuff up the paint. They did something kind of similar. They gave me the keys to a five-year-old, maybe four-year-old um, McLaren. Uh, this is the MP4-12C, which became shortened to the 12C and then replaced by the 650S, I believe. Um, it's a supercar. Yeah, that's the best way I can t- I can sum it up. This is um, McLaren's return to road-going cars after 25 years and a weird stint with, with Mercedes somewhere in between there. <laughs> so let's put this in perspective. The F1 came out in the in 25 years, actually came out 25 years ago this month. And um, the 12C came out, or the MP4-12C came out in 2012, and uh, it's it's insane, um, the sort of progress that we've seen, and all so, of the car... So how sorry? different how different is the, the, um, the, the 12C compared to the, the F1? The F1 is still the granddaddy of, uh, of McLaren um, until the P1 showed up. Um, so it feels like they're di- they're in different classes. It's really weird. The top speed, I think, of a the top the 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 McLaren held the top speed record for a long time, right? For a production car, I think at 240 miles per hour, and this doesn't have that top speed. It has, I think, two just over 200 or something near 200. Um, uh, 207. That's what it is. 
So it's not yet at that level, but in order for them to, I think, make it more accessible, and that's what they were going for with the with the 12C and the other cars, the other road cars that they've introduced since then, um, they've brought a couple of things down. But what they've done is they created a basis for the rest of their cars. That's, that's what the 12C was, or is. Um, it was the platform for the rest of McLaren's lineup. And the new cars today, including the P1, use a lot of the technology from the engine to the structure, the supercell um, structure, um, as the 12C did a couple years ago. It's interesting that you mentioned that they kind of, they didn't go for the jugular right away with the 12C. You know, when the F1 came out, there was nothing like that car, was there? There's, there was really, it, it kind of stomped all over everybody. Uh, I think that Ferrari had the F50, which was a, a rough contemporary. And what was Lamborghini in that era? Was it the... Diablo? Was it still the Diablo? <laughs> but, the um, Diablo SV? <laughs> so so McLaren came out with the F1 and just kind of shut the door on, on everyone and like, here's here's the ceiling. And it doesn't make sense. Bug- I think there was a Bugatti at that time that was also pretty the impressive. The EB110, was, that, was yeah. that what it was called? I think that would be the only other. And that was even rarer than the McLaren. Uh, oh, yeah. McLaren, right? But, but you know, it doesn't make sense to do that in a modern context. You, you right. don't want to set the ceiling and then sell lesser cars. You kind of want to build to build to perfection, I guess. Right. So, yeah, totally. I understand the philosophy that you're talking about for the McLaren. So what do I need to tell you? This car uses a 3.8-liter V8 that's been twin-turboed. It's mounted behind the driver. It delivers north of 610 horsepower, and it does 0 to 60 in about 3 seconds. Is that with, like, a launch control, or does it just do it? That's apparently with a launch control. I haven't tested it or timed it myself because I don't have a racetrack or a runway um, despite the keys having the keys to a McLaren. Wait, aren't you aren't you the the road test editor at AutoGuide? Yes, and not you don't the have access. Keeper. You don't have an access to a racetrack or a runway. No, unfortunately. Oh man. Uh, we got to work on that. That's that's one of the perks I'm I'm gunning for in my next um, performance review. I guess the AutoGuide private helicopter can land anywhere. I mean, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my colleague Colin Wood is uh, is handling that thing. I hear he sleeps in that. Yeah, he loves it. It's his baby. Um, this car, though, I can, I don't know. I I've talked I've talked to you about some. We've talked about supercars actually consecutively on on uh, sorry on consecutive podcasts now, uh, from the R8 to the Huracan to the I8 if you want to call that one as well. I know and, their audience must be so tired of it. And the McLaren, which is older, still feels like an unbelievably fast car, um, even in comparison to those. And as you were saying. There are a couple of parts of it that just seem way too refined or smoother than I would have anticipated for a purebred exotic. So unlike unlike the R8 or um, the BMW, which have like sort of um, they have a standard to set, I think, with their Audi and the BMW lineup. So they have a certain persona. They have they have features and functions and, and parts that can come from those feet from those other cars in the lineup the mclaren doesn't have any of that it's all from scratch it's all you know it's, its own thing um and it also doesn't have to fit this characteristic of being a smooth car or anything like that this car was built to be fast it was supposed to be a formula one the closest thing to a formula one car or a race car and then make it for the road and then add a little bit of practicality to it by adding, you know, like air conditioning and a radio to it. Do you know how many they built? Of the 12C? No, yes. I don't. I don't have any numbers off the top of my head. Um, but I did have a question in. 
that discussed how much their business has improved since the launch of the 12C. Give me a second to find that. Um, basically, I was saying how successful was this um, this vehicle, right? The launch of this vehicle. Um, last year, here we go. This car showed up in the, the F1 back in 1994, 95, sold 106 cars. Okay. okay. And I believe they're a million dollars each at the time. Right. McLaren last year uh, globally sold 4,000 cars. Wow. Um, so it's still a low number, but the fact is that the, the, the brand has really expanded within that. I would say the car disappeared after a short while, like the brand disappeared after a short while to focus on, uh, racing or maybe consulting. And, um, well, they weren't, they weren't in the business of making road cars. I mean, any company that makes 106 cars, it's pretty clear that that's not their focus, especially if they only do it for a very short period of time. Yeah. And uh, I guess the business case presented itself. I mean, obviously it exists for them to be able to expand on that, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. This is this is information provided from Lawrence Yap. Lawrence Yap was a former auto journalist who uh, I think a lot of us uh, read growing up uh, in the in the Toronto Star and some other parts now. And now he works with uh, FAF, and he's telling me that basically, you know, McLaren as a brand just grew so much within the past six years. And I think that's a really good uh, that's a good way of putting it. Um, the most important part here with the 12C is that there's so much technology in it that still exists in the in the current McLarens, um, and other cars are still trying to emulate what the McLaren has has accomplished in that time. Um, the hydraulically cross-linked suspension. There's no anti there's no anti-roll bars in this car, which is really interesting. Um, and the most significant way, the way you'll feel this the most, is when you switch between the suspension settings there's three suspension settings and they change so dramatically it's a joke um i mean i didn't realize i had so much excess fat on my body until i put it into the track mode and suddenly my whole body is jiggling um and then when you have it in the normal mode you just feel like you're in a in a fairly stiffly sprung sports car but it doesn't feel that harsh it's it was such a dramatic change in that sense um, the car also has active aerodynamics and a, uh, a rear spoiler, which, um, raises to bring, uh, bring things to a stop a little bit quicker. So like an air brake. So it's an air brake. Mm-hmm. Can you activate the air brake at any time? No, I can't. There's no air brake, air brake button. That'd be kind of cool though. Can you do like a sick wheelie, like with the air brake button? <laughs> I wish there is no wheel, but there is no air brake button. Stop asking me about the air brake button. <sighs> Um, and one of the cool things, everything about this car is actually really neatly done. Um, the stocks on the steering wheel, you know, like for lane changing and, uh, and, uh, windshield wipers, I know it's a super boring thing to talk about, but they're all made of this single piece of, of material of metal of maybe carbon, it's like super light and it has like holes in it to make it like even lighter and, and thinner. And it's super cool to see it. You and figure the, with, with all of that that weight savings, they could at least put a button in that lets you uh, activate the air brake at any time. <laughs> um, and uh, and then there's a single paddle. Basically, the, sh the shift paddles are a single piece that are hinged in the middle on the steering wheel, which is really cool. I've never felt that before. But as a result, a lot of the car needs some like tactile feel. When you pull the paddle shifter, 
it really you really have to pull it. It's not just like a simple tap like you do in in other cars. You really pull this paddle shifter to get it going. And I I'm telling you, it's a trip. This car um, is is very quick. It's very tactile. It's very precise. Um, it's a lot of fun to drive. Um, How many horsepower is it again? Did you did you say? Yeah, six sixteen, I think. And and is there anything about the car when you were driving it that, that, that was like weird where you were like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, for for sure. For starters, the car never like the radio in it is never on. It's never on unless you turn it on. Okay. I thought that was weird. Um, I know, like I said, this is a very focused vehicle. The air conditioning and HVAC settings are on the doors. Really? Yeah, with a little screen on the door. <laughs> <laughs> And it's super trippy. And as well, uh, I had it in like the single set, the single like one setting instead of dual zone setting. Okay. And I had a passenger adjust his settings on his door and end up changing my my temperature as well. And I thought that was really funny. You know, in the in the Ferrari, um, the GTC4 Lusso, again, not the not the greatest name. It's uh, the turn signal buttons are on the steering wheel and they're at the very top of the center of the steering wheel hub. There's no stocks at all. Wow. Yeah, and, and you get, the, yeah, you, you get, get used to that. You get used to it, and then when you go into a normal car again, you're like, kind of flailing around on the steering wheel trying to find <laughs> the buttons, because my brain is so simple. Apparently, it can only remember one location at a time. Well, that that brings up a really interesting um, story because I think I'm sure you've been in a car with me. It has to have been um, when you have a a transmission. You know, Mercedes and BMW put their trans, some of their transmissions on the on the stock. Right on the steering on the steering. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sometimes when you've just gotten out of one and you get into another car, you try to change gears using the stock on the right of the on the right of the steering wheel, and, and you and just end up activating the wipers. <laughs> and not only that, but you like you like slam it into the fastest setting of the of the wiper. <laughs> it's true because <laughs> there's no like, there's no detente. Like you expect a detente yeah. of some kind, and it's just like bam right to the right. And to you're the like mouth. looking behind you as you just slam the windshield wipers on to put the <laughs> to throw it in reverse. And you're like, oh my bad. Um, it was a, it's a really super, it's a, this is truly a supercar. It's, it's very fast. Um, it revs so smoothly. I was not expecting the, the acceleration to be so smooth in a twin turbo V8. I thought all the power was going to be down low, like uh, most turbocharged cars. And it wasn't like that. It was, it was nice and top. The, the full power comes on at 7,500 RPM and the full torque is available between three and 7,000 RPM. And honestly, the car tends to want to hang out at around the 3,000 to 4,000 um, rev rev range, which is super neat. How many speeds is the transmission? It's a seven-speed dual clutch, and it's a pretty good dual clutch with the exception of being stuck in traffic and just lurching around, along. Okay, yeah. Which I think that's a common complaint for most dual clutch transmissions. Well, no one likes to be lurching around in traffic, so... Um, this thing, when it came out, was $230,000 Canadian. Uh, sorry, $230,000 uh, US, sorry. Um, and doing a quick search on the local auto traders, you'll find the cheapest one at 190 uh, Canadian. So maybe about one, I don't know, 60, 170 US. And I think that's a really good price for this car. This car. Um, the only thing that I would warn anybody listening, if anyone listening is even considering a $170,000 used car, um, I would say that I've heard some some issues with reliability on this vehicle. Well, these are cars that I think a big part of why the prices have remained so strong is these are car, these are not cars that get driven 
-hmm. These are not cars that uh, rack up the miles. So reliability is kind of a a wishy-washy issue. Um, If it's not being driven all the time, it's a little easier for it to be in the shop because you're not, you know, you have your other supercar to drive. Yeah, your GT4, uh, GT3 4 Lusso. Exactly. Um, I was really impressed with it. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely, um, it was not what I thought it was going to be. It's, it's both very livable. And then when you want it to, to, when you want to be impressed, it can impress. It really does. Um, and it attracts attention. Although I will admit there's so many times in Toronto where you're, when you come to an intersection, you're going to make a right turn and somebody, you know, walks in front of you and they actively try not to look at you. Like they don't want to give you the satisfaction of uh, they think you're a jerk, right? You're just a jerk who bought a flashy car um, and has a podcast, and yeah, and they just the bees and you knees. can see them. They're they're not looking straight ahead like you would when you're walking. They have like this this side eye that you catch, and then they just start looking at their toes, and they like awkwardly shift their bodies. So they don't have to look at you and your excessive wow. vehicle. And I feel really weird about that. And you I really hope thought I'm not, a lot about this. I hope I'm yeah. Honestly, I've seen it a couple because I also I live in a condo building as well, and I can see some of the people um, around the building whenever I get out or in or out in the in the morning and in the evening. They kind of like, oh, well, who's this jerk? I don't want to. Uh, I don't even want to think about it. Well, maybe if you went to condo meetings. Those people would have names That's and then true. they would become friends and then things would be totally – they would be like, hey, Sammy, can I have a ride in your cool car instead of who's this guy? Yeah. I've never seen him at a condo meeting. But it, it really was uh, an interesting trip and I can't wait because it feels it feels like you're tempting fate to get a ticket when you're driving something like this um, around town or on the highway. It does pick up speed um, well beyond legal limits and into criminal territory if you if you don't – have a if you don't have a a, a strong eye on which on your speedometer well, uh, or, a good a, thing or you're, a keen eye on your speedometer it's a good thing you're a man of character sammy well i'll both admit that there's times when it when it went over the speed limit and there's times when i had to keep a really tight eye on what i was doing with it um next week i actually do get the i will be on track with a supercar and i'm very much looking forward to that because you can find what, what supercar is that it's going to be the Aventador S. Apparently, they liked all of our Aventador S talking uh, on the podcast, and they want us to try it on the track as well. So that sounds like fun. It, it should be. I'm only nervous because it's the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, which is also known as Motorsport. And there's some, there's one. There's a great big straight on it, which should allow me to catch some pretty pretty high speed. But there's a a pair of turns that are a little, um, they're not nice for novices. That's for sure. And uh, I need to be prepared to, on what to do with the with this car on those on those sections of the track. Well, I'm sure that um, you'll drive within your limits and uh, to the best of your abilities. I'll do my best, buddy. Um, and I've already taken out a life insurance policy. Thank you. Uh, online, which is surprisingly <laughs> easy to do for a total stranger. Hey, have we uh, have we got a sponsor on that yet? We maybe we can get it for free. <laughs> I don't know if free life insurance is really something that you want, but okay. <laughs> Okay, so that's enough of the supercar talk. Um, I've got another more more normal car to talk about, which is also kind of cool. It's got two doors. It's a Mercedes C300 convertible. Now, this is weird because we were just talking about the C300 wagon last week, uh, and this is very much like that, but it has two doors and no roof, um, and I like it quite a bit. Um, and it always surprises me because they say that they these things have 240 horsepower and they surprise me every single time when I put my foot down. I feel like it has a little bit more uh, oomph than, than that. I don't know. I don't get that same surprise feeling, especially not in the Cabriolet, which is 
not a light vehicle by any means. I mean, it, it's no GTC4 Lusso in terms of <laughs> in terms of curb weight, but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, w- compared to say an an A5 convertible or a, a four series convertible, how does how does it feel? Um, I haven't driven a A4 convertible, but I have driven a four series convertible a while ago with the two cylinder engine, uh, with the two liter engine as well, and I felt like. Um, the transmission was better in the BMW and allowed for quicker shift and got it into the rev range a little bit quicker than this thing did. So that's a great point to bring up. Um, one of the things, any, yeah, one of the on. things I absolutely love about, about all, I said this before the, the current C-class um, or Mercedes interior design language is my favorite. I can't get over it. Those those three circular vents in the center, the, the, the way the wood, the wood trim, uh, dashboard like sprawls in front of you. Um, it's really attractive, I think. These there is some weird stuff though in the car. Have you ever seen these weird like arms that give you seatbelts in? Yes, in the modern- Ferrari had those too, and okay. uh, BMW has had them, and it, it, it they're they're freaky, aren't they? It's like <laughs> it's like this rickety plastic, you know, like in the movie Aliens where like there's the mouth inside the other mouth. Yeah. It's like that, except it's giving you a seatbelt. <laughs> it's exactly like that. That's the best description for it ever. And you know what? You can trick it because while I'm trying to take photos of it, I'm opening and closing the door. And every time you open the door, like whatever the sequence is for you to be in the car or out of the car, it can tell when you're not getting into the car. And it can tell when you aren't or when you are getting into the car. And it will send you this. So if you can trick it. You can like open the door and close it. And then it will give you the it'll give you the, the why are you trying to trick it why are you so cruel like what what that's it. it it does one thing in its entire life i would have imagined that it could have been atta- it could have been attached to the it could have been learning from the uh what is it called the airbag sensor and that's why it would give you the seatbelt. but it's not doing that at all it's just doing it based on the door and you and you decided to exploit that yes i mean <laughs> now i have the seatbelt the seatbelt handler you know, when cars uh, become which... sentient, that car is going to hunt you down <laughs> and it's going to end you. I remember um, using the the I don't think it was a convertible. I think it was a coupe. It was a four series and it was really, really cold. It was the middle of winter. And when you would when it would g- try to give you the seatbelt, it was clear that the electric motor was not happy with how cold it was. And it was like and it's like moving even more slowly towards your head. And, and like I think it got stuck a couple times. And I was just like, wow, like cold. I mean, this we're talking minus 25 degrees, probably. Yeah, it's just selfie. not. I mean, when you add these kinds of electronic features to cars, and it doesn't even have to be something that moves, like like this vestigial T-Rex arm. <laughs> it, it could just be uh, even in you know comfort features or electrical complexity in the car. A lot of electrical systems can't handle that cold, and you start to get weird gremlins, especially if the charging system is heating the car and uh, trying to do everything else, and voltage is maybe not as stable as it should be. You get a lot of weird stuff like on on electric uh, systems in very luxurious cars, or you know even mid-range luxury cars. You know what? We had um, really contrasting um, experiences with some electric electric systems last week. Um, you had the the Jaguar 400 Sport, yes, and uh, you noted that the wing behavior was worked a particular way. And when we compared notes, our wing behaviors worked completely opposite of one another. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I was driving the car, and the spoiler came up, and I said, "I don't like that because I can't see behind me." So I want to I want to put it down. So I pressed the 
the active arrow button and it didn't do anything. It didn't work. It doesn't do anything on the coops at all in North America. It didn't go down. And I was really annoyed by that until I came to a stop and I found out that you can press the button at a stop and this, and it will either, it'll come up, which at what point it was down, right? So the system is either automatic or up. And, and uh, as soon as you start rolling with it up, it puts it down. And in the car, it, in the, and then in it the, turns it back on once you hit a speed. And yeah, and the car I had, I couldn't get it to to pop up, regardless of whether I was in park or not or stop. They just wouldn't work. And I understand that if you go to Europe, it's not like that. Like it just goes up and down, up and down. And if you go online, this is the best part of this. If you go online and you try to search my spoiler is broken or spoiler button does nothing for Jaguar F-Type, you find every posting is someone in Europe saying, how do I disable the spoiler because it tells the speed cameras I'm going over 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and and no one wants this visual indicator that they're speeding. That was my thought exactly. Um, in any case, well, you know, um, I'm driving something this week that's also a little confusing when we're talking about uh, branding. And we're talking about um, variations on a theme. You know, last week you had the C300 uh, cab. Sorry, the C300 wagon. Now you have the C300 convertible. Right. This I'm driving this week the um, 2017 Dodge Challenger TA392. Okay. Can you break down? I know what a Dodge Challenger is. I need to know what the TA. I need to know what the 392 is. <laughs> well, what's, you know, what's I would... going on after the name of the car? I wish I could break it down, and of course you know what the Challenger is because we talk about it all the time all on the, the show. Time. It's almost like we're sponsored by Challenger, <laughs> which we're not, but we're open to. Yes. And um, I, I, anyway, so here's the reality for Chrysler. They have the LX platform underpinning several cars. There's no replacement coming anytime soon. Development is kind of slowed down for FCA for these this class of vehicles. So that what, what we're seeing is increasingly different um, versions of the same car to keep people interested. It's kind of like, you know, how Chevrolet has like 18 different special versions of the Silverado. Right, and like they're, exactly. they're all they're all variations on black. It's like <laughs> yeah. midnight and blackout and like special ops and like tactical tactical <laughs> unconsciousness. It's like it's all like different different types of like black trim with black headlights and the yeah. black, and black windshield and, yeah. and black lights inside the car for your crushed velvet Elvis painting and your Grateful Dead. And um so challengers like that but with performance. So, so there's a lot of ingredients going on for the Challenger that you can just pick and choose from. They have things like the Super Track Pack, and they have uh, a whole bunch of cool stickers, and there's like, I don't know, six hoods? How many hoods are there for the Challenger? Yeah, as many as you can imagine. As many as you can imagine. And they have like different air induction systems that go with the hoods and also with the headlights. And So there's a lot of, you know, you can pick and choose. And so with the TA... What the TA is, it, is it calls back to the, I believe it was 1970 Challenger TA. I could be wrong. It stands for Trans Am. Um, it, it, uh, in the modern context, you get a sticker package, sort of. You get a black hood. Mine has a, it's a, mine's a gray car, like a dark, dark gray with a black hood. A kind of a ghosted TA stripe down the side. It has a black roof as well. Um, it's, it's pretty good looking. It's got a TA sticker and 392 underneath it. On, on the fender and 
there's there's three versions of the TA that are available. There's like TA, TA plus, and TA three ninety two. And the TA three ninety two has the six point four liter V eight with four hundred and eighty five horsepower, which is my favorite engine nice. in the uh, Challenger portfolio. I don't need the Hellcat power. But the RT power is not enough, in my opinion, for the weight of the car. Mm-hmm. The 485 is the sweet spot for this car. So not only do you get that engine, you get six-piston Brembo front brakes, <laughs> four-piston four rears, a unique suspension tuning compared to the other uh, versions of the TA, I assume, because the engine's probably a little heavier. You um, and, and you get Pirelli three-season performance tires, which are not great. Uh, the other cars get good, your Eagle F1s. They're, they're 20-inch tires, though. They're really big, meaty tires. As big and meaty as you get until you get into wide-body Hellcat territory. And you get the Super Track Pack, which lets you do things like... Um, you hit the button, and you can dial in whether you want sport steering, whether you want sport throttle response, whether you want a relaxed steering or a more kind of aggressive steering for the for the power steering system. Uh, you can turn this the stability control off completely. It's got three mode stability control. It's got uh, it's lower than the regular Challenger by about half an inch, and you got built-in shocks. So that's kind of what you're getting. But I know if you're out there listening, uh, mine also came with a six-speed manual. You can get an eight-speed auto if you want. Anyone if, out if there? If you're out there listening, you might have missed every one of those features. There's a few <laughs> things there that you need to you need to highlight specifically for me to know right. what makes this car so. So truly special and better than the other, uh, tra- other not, challengers. See, here's the thing. I'm not sure this is a truly special challenger. <laughs> I think it's a good challenger, but this is very close to being a sticker package with a with a big engine. Um, in the sense that almost everything that I've just talked about the 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 495 horsepower, the special trans the the special um suspension the super track pack you can get that in other versions of the challenger my favorite version of the challenger is the shaker scat pack because it's it's got that that shaker hood with the hole in the middle it's got everything i just talked about um it doesn't try to be a sports car it tries to be a muscle car uh, so you're not paying extra for the SRT 392 models trick adjustable suspension which is you know the next step up from the TA kind of uh, this car, it's kind of just like the Scat Pack without the Scat Pack hood. It, it, this car also comes with the the hollow headlights out front that okay. suck air in, yeah. which is which is kind of cool. I don't think you can get that in the Scat Pack. I could be wrong, but it's like, at what point, <laughs> at what point have we we reached saturation in terms of what can be done with the Challenger? So what makes this car interesting to me is it sounds like a less obnoxious Scat Pack. Not that the Scat Pack was super obnoxious. Is that well, it kind of sounds like you're saying it is. I mean, what do you have against the Scat Pack? Well, it has all these graphics. It has all this stuff going on. Um, it's it's kind of loud. A, it's a thousand dollars more than the Scat Pack Shaker. This car that you're driving, the T8. Yes. yes. Mm. I don't and think I, I don't, like that. I don't know why. Like, I'm on the Dodge configuration site, and I'm trying to figure out what it has. Like, it, it's even missing some equipment. Like, the, the Scat Pack Shaker comes with a heated steering wheel standard, but if you want that in the TA392, uh, you got to pay for it. It's an option. Um, it's it's kind of weird to try and figure out what's, what's going on. You can get HIDs on the TA that you can't get on the Scat Pack. I'm assuming that has something to do with the air intake lights that, that are there. It's it's just not really clear, you know. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I guess this is kind of like 
gone are the days where you could roll into a dealership and build a car from the bottom up with all the options you want. So I think kind of what Chrysler's doing with this car is here's another option for you if you want a Challenger. Here's another flavor of Challenger. If you want it, awesome. Um, if you don't, how about one of the other 17 Challenger <laughs> models that we have? Oh, here's something that you can get in the TA that you can't get in the Scat Pack. Those six-piston Brembos. Okay. Those are not, so that right there, there's that's probably your thousand dollars. So I will and, say that that's probably one of the more important things that you can get on this car than you can't get on the Scat. So it's not just graphics. This is an actual usable. And the and the Challenger is a heavy car. Having having stronger brakes are is not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not. But again, you're it's not, not going to be taking this car. Upgrade. No, it, there's nothing worthless about it. I mean, that's you know, that's that's really harsh language to be using I said, to our it's, it's our not, non-sponsor sponsor, I, Sammy. I, like I said I, it's <laughs> not a worthless upgrade. It's a worthwhile wow. upgrade. Well, I think the recording will reveal what you actually said, but. <laughs> In this case, you don't you don't really need those Brembos because you're not going to the track in this car. You just aren't. If you're that kind of guy and you really, really obsessively need to track your Challenger, buy the SRT 392, get the trick suspension, and still be disappointed by how heavy it is. Or buy the Hellcat and just not care because everyone's going to be scared to death of what you're doing out there. And, or the Demon now. Well, the Demon's not really a... I don't know how the Demon would feel on a racetrack. Um, it's pretty soft compared to the, to the Hellcat. Okay. Um, so wow! Any, any thoughts? Wow! Sorry, I just wanted <laughs> I just wanted to ask: Are there any thoughts? Um, is it the t- is it the challenger for you? No, the challenger for me is a scat pack shaker because I like hasn't changed. I like, it hasn't changed because and but here's the thing: there's nothing wrong with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I drove the when we were doing the when we were driving the GT4 C Luso. I can't believe I keep saying the full name. <laughs> <laughs> just say the ferrari it's, the, the it's like it's like i'm like it's like the movie it, it, sapphire by precious written by whoever you know like that film that came out yeah. based on the anyway whatever so um we had a camera car that was a mustang gt convertible mm-hmm. so i drove the gt convertible back to back with the uh challenger today and it's amazing how much more like a muscle car the challenger feels like it's yeah. big it's bulky it shakes a little bit when you start it and when you turn it off. It makes way better noises than the five liter in the Ford does. It's it more just, comfortable too. Like it, there's so much more space in a Challenger around you. You feel less claustrophobic. I feel claustrophobic in in new Mustangs. Isn't that weird? It is kind of weird. Uh, it's you know it's it's if you're looking for that muscle car experience, the Challenger is really the way to get it. The the GT Mustang GT is morphed into something else. It's like a sports and, car. I mean, both the both the Camaro and the Mustang have become sports cars, right? Yeah. So it's it's a character thing for me, and uh, I think that's why I like the Shaker model because the character of the hood is is just really cool. It kind of it's the cherry on top of the muscle car Sunday that 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 vehicle brings to the table. But there's nothing wrong with the TA if you like the stickers and you want the bigger brakes. Have at it, man. A thousand dollars. It's not a huge difference when you're talking about a car that you know is a $45,000 car to begin with. So I think people are going to buy the car they want instead of the car that only getting the car they think they can afford. There's just one more question I have for you because, uh, and it's a little out there. The manual transmit you drove the manual transmission. That's yes. not the question. Can you talk to me about that <laughs> manual transmission? Because the manual no, it's under embargo. I, can, manual, I can't say anything about it. <laughs> the manual transmissions in some uh, Challengers. Are really interesting to use, and I don't know if that's if you can understand where I'm coming from 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 there. Um, sometimes they have a really weird, they're they're really interesting, is what I'm trying to say. Is that it's what is interesting? What is that? No, it's like it's like a different shift mechanic. It feels like it's not just a straight um, vertical 
a shifter, it's like it's got like a little hinge to it or like a, a little angle to it. It's very interesting in that way. I didn't notice that. Okay. Um, something I did notice though is I'm looking more at the spec sheets for the regular TA, like the the one that's based on the 5.7 liter engine, and it does not get those Brembo brakes. And how much more is it than the scat? The is there a 5.7 scat pack? Yeah, that's the uh, 5.7 scat pack. I don't know. I, there's so many cars on this. Yeah, we, this list. we should never. We should never question whatever. I feel like I opened Pandora's. <laughs> yeah. Pandora's box of like Challenger trim levels here. <laughs> um, but uh, what color was yours again? It's like a dark gray. Um, that disappoints me. It looks good. But the one thing that that uh, that it's called Destroyer Gray. Well, that's cool. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love about FCA products, especially the Dodge lineup, is that they have no shortage of cool colors to to wrap their cars in. And uh, gray would not be would not fit that bill for me. But yeah, you can get green go, which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, you can get uh, red line tri coat, which is pretty cool. You can get uh, yellow jacket. Mm-hmm. You can get um, go mango. There's one color of the Mazda the uh, Mazda MX-5 RF. It's red, and everything else is just shades of gray and white and. and I silver. know it's it's so, a shame. I love the fact that Dodge does this with their cars, and I guess we can say the same thing about these trim packages, which add all these graphics and personality to a car. Um, it is sounding a little confusing when trying to trying to describe it to people that oh you can get this model, you can get this model with this package or these graphics here, but um, maybe it's more power to them to have that kind of um, option availability. You know, um, on that note, uh, I think we can wrap everything up and uh, talk about what we're going to be doing next week. Sammy, I know you mentioned you're going to be on the track in a very exciting Lamborghini. Is there anything else that uh, you'll be bringing to the table? Yes, I'm going to be foregoing my weekend um, and going to the East Coast to drive a 911 from PEI to Halifax. There's a Porsche, Porsche 911 Canada 150 experience that they're selling to customers. It's an eleven thousand um, dollar, uh, I don't know, event. Um, and people, they don't have to be customers of Porsche 911s. They have Porsche will provide them with one, and they will drive from Toronto all the way to the east end of uh, east end of um, the country. And I'm just going to take part of uh, one or two legs in that, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, mainly because people don't. Anticipate. I don't think people really correlate um, 9/11s and Canada, um, and I'm looking forward to what? seeing. I'm, Wait, I don't understand what you're saying. Are you saying that that 9/11s should be correlated with Canada? Not exactly, but I think a lot of people think that a, a Canada is not a sports car country because of it the, isn't. Because of some people will think that because of the different uh, seasons that we get, the distinct, the four distinct seasons we get. You know, Germany gets those seasons too. But they also have, do they? <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. Well, I have to go and check that out for myself. But a lot of people, I don't know. It seems, <laughs> I've, it seems I've so weird to, to have a uh, a 911 in in Canada when we have such harsh winters and short summers. So I'm very much looking it's, forward to this. Um, it's interesting that you that you put it that way because to me the 911 is the sports car I see the most in the depths of winter here in Montreal. It's it's almost comical how many are out there. In the snow, that's pretty cool. In the snow, yeah. So that that's the other element that I, I wanted to bring up is it show, showcases the Canadian automotive enthusiasm, which is we're going to drive some cool cars no matter where uh, in the country and what season it is. And I think that's well, pretty uh, cool. What are you talking uh, about? The next week, I am going to be picking up for the very first time the Fiat 124 Abarth, 
Uh, nice. Am I saying that right? I never say it right. I think we know which, I think we know what you're saying though. It's that uh, it's that so hot it's the, trim level of the one two four. Yeah, it's the Fiat that's totally not a Miata, and um, it has the turbo engine from Fiat and the chassis of the Mazda Miata, and it's taken me a really long time to get behind the wheel of one through a various random circumstances that have kept me out of the driver's seat of this particular car so i'm looking forward to that and uh, on this weekend um i'm not giving up my weekend in fact i'm going to the racetrack with my father and we are going to a place called club motorsport in tamworth new hampshire if it, for listeners might remember that that's also where i drove the grand cherokee trackhawk last month so i'm looking forward to getting back there it's uh we're kind of wrapping up the season my father he runs a uh, a ford mustang lx Fox body as his track car and this is his last season with it he's purchased an 05 gt to replace it next year and and this might be the final event i think we have one after this so i'm kind of going to be saying goodbye to that car uh doing a feature on that for um a publication that uh we'll, we'll post up alongside the podcast when it comes out and you can check that out it's kind of fun to go back and drive these older cars and kind of touch get in touch with the emotions that are associated with them but also just kind of contrast them to the modern driving experience and seeing how different that is that's one of my favorite parts um of our job when it comes up the ability to to drive an old car and a newer a new one um or in contrast to newer vehicles is always a very fun contrast i love it and um, if, if you'd like to check out uh, past episodes, if maybe this is the first time you're listening, you can always do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Yeah, it's our brand new host. I mean, it's, it's not super new. It's a week old now, but we have uh, all of our archived episodes are there. And we are still on iTunes, of course, regardless of changing hosts, Unnamed Automotive Podcast there and on Google Play Music and on a bunch of other podcast services. If you listen to us on iTunes, it would be awesome if you could just leave a review, even if it just says, hey, this is great or hey, this sucks. Anything counts uh, towards getting us in front of more eyeballs, um, and we would appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with either Ben or myself, I suggest you use Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing at me, or like the several times I've laughed through this podcast. Uh, Benjamin is easy is easier to find uh, on Twitter. Find on Twitter. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Um, what else? You can also well, there's also Facebook if you feel like Facebooking Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We have our our page there. You can message us there. Uh, I, uh, any of these ways to just get your opinions across to us, ask us questions about what we've got coming up. If you have anything particular you'd like us to drive or talk about, we're also open to hearing that. Oh yeah, we're game. We love those challenges. Um, and much like the Hooniverse Podcast and their um, question about their banana, the the guy who had a mobile banana business. I don't know who that was. Um, We want to thank you for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week. Take care, listener. Bye, everybody.